Welcome to A Longer Table Podcast, a space where curiosity and proximity will challenge everything you thought you knew. I'm your host, Amanda Carpenter, inviting you to pull up a seat. You just might leave thinking, maybe we're not so different. In this conversation, I'm going to dive right in with my friend, Jennifer Dukes-Lee. She's a best-selling author, thinker, and question asker from Iowa. Um, We love question askers here. And we just have this short conversation where (laughs) we were first chatting about her empty nester life, but then we get into her newest book, which is called Stuff I'd Only Tell God. We'll be sure to link it in our show notes. And I hope you follow along with Jennifer because she has been such an instrumental voice and mentor to me from afar. Enjoy this conversation. Okay, so empty nester life is going well. You mm-hmm. actually like your husband. I know. I, I looked at him <laughs> and I'm like, honey, we were on a vacation recently up in Minnesota. And when we go on these vacations in Minnesota, it's way up north in this little cabin that we have. And there's usually just a lot of people activity around kids or other family members. And it was just the two of us. And we had our Adirondack chairs sitting out. And I'm like, honey, it is a really good thing that we don't just love each other, but that we like each other because this could be miserable otherwise. And it makes me think, and I know you get this too, how important it is to invest in that relationship and not make your entire world revolve around your kids because it pays off dividends later. I'm telling you. Yeah. Well, I love that you said that because I see marriages that flourish as in their empty nester years. And then you see a lot come to an end around that 20, 25 year mark. It feels like when the kids have left, it almost feels like some people wait till their kids leave the house so they get divorced. And and not that that's what this conversation needs to be about at all, but what would be your biggest piece of advice? Obviously, you kind of just shared a little tidbit of investing in that relationship. If you are married, invest in the marriage, not just your kids. Don't let your kids become your whole world. But any other tangible piece of advice for people like me who are you know, several stages behind you um, as we look ahead to the future, what can we do now to set ourselves up for success? You know, Scott and I have been really intentional about being interested in what the other person is interested in. You know, Scott reads, for instance, he's my husband. Scott's my husband. He <laughs> reads like all my books. He he is um, he stalks my Instagram. He doesn't post anything, but he's on there to you know support and watch what I do. And in the same regard, I every day when he comes home, I'm like, honey, how are the pigs doing? He's a pig farmer. <laughs> Oh and we, you know, when it's planting season, I go out on the the tractor and you know sit with him, and he teaches me how, more about harvest and planting seeds and those kinds of things. So we've been really invested in each other's lives vocationally, and really inc- because so much of our lives are around our careers, and really encouraging each other and pushing each other and believing in each believing the best in each other and helping each other through conflict in our various jobs. Even though I don't I don't know what. Half of what he's doing on the farm. And he doesn't really know about the writing life, but we help each other in that. And we've, we have, um, sometimes even when it was a little hard financially, we made time for vacations together. And sometimes the kids were along, oftentimes the kids were along, but we also did a lot with like other couples. And, um, so it's just made for a little bit easier transition. I remember when, um, we looked at each other after our second daughter went off to college and we both said to each other, now what? Mm. 
And we just started now wedding. And we were like, and now what are we going to do? I know. Let's just go out to dinner tonight. Let's just not make supper tonight. I mean, we probably eat out way too much now, but we, but we're doing that. I mean, we've, we're taking more walks together. We're having deeper conversations together. We're thinking more intentionally about what we want the rest of our lives to look like. And I feel like that sits on top of work that we did early on. And, and it wasn't like we, we just didn't build a life around our kids. Yeah. We built a life around, and I mean, for us, as with the Christian worldview, we built it foundationally on on what we believe faith-wise in Christ. But then it, you know, we really um wanted to model for our kids good relationships, whether they get married or not is up to them. But we wanted them to see what that looked like too, not just what it was to be a good mommy or a daddy, but what it was like right. to just be with a person and love them, yeah. Oh, that's really good. I feel like I um, have noticed, you know, it's it's just too easy sometimes to prioritize your child or your children over your spouse. But I'm really grateful for people in my life who remind me and even redirect me at times. Um, because right now we're just in the thick of toddler life, which is you know, he's, he wants to be independent, but he's not independent. And needless to say, the other night, my husband looked at me and he's like, babe, he, he like looked at me and then he looked at Shia and he's like, mommy and daddy are having a conversation. You need to wait a minute. And I appreciate that. Even my own husband is like, wait a second. This kid is like dictating our entire life and like running this household. Uh-uh. Like, no, we need to rein it in. Like, he needs to know that mommy and daddy's relationship, I'm you know, like that, that we prioritize that and that he, you know, are, we're not a... It's not the Shia show. So we are, I think, actively kind of figuring that out. So this is so timely. And I yeah, love it. it I, I grant you, Amanda, that when you have the little, little time, I mean, it's like all you can do to just, you know, try to kiss each other goodnight sometimes. For sure. I get that. Just peace to you. And also, it, does, it in this case, it gets easier. There's some parts of parenting, they get harder for sure. But when you don't have to be monitoring them all the time to make sure they don't stick a fork in an electrical <laughs> socket, I mean, it gets, it does get easier. Just do what you can now, yeah. give yourself grace and have yeah. fun. <laughs> Thanks. No, I love that. Well, you alluded to your work a little bit, but you and I connected because we're both in the publishing world. Um, I believe, were you the editor for one of my friend's books? I believe you were the editor on one of Angelie's books. And that's yes, how we initially I've been the editor. Connected. Yes, I have been the editor for two of her books so far. So, so cool. And then you're also a writer. I am. I'm, a, I'm an acquisitions editor and I'm a writer. I was a writer first. I've always been a writer. My more, my more private, I mean, it's not private because I'm not trying to be private about it, but my less public part of my persona is my acquisitions work. That's what I do to help authors for a company called Bethany House Publishers helping them and mentoring them and uh, vision casting for their books and their messages, which is so fun and so cool. But then the other part of my life, the more public part is, you know, being on social media and speaking and writing books. And I've been doing that for since 2009, I've been doing online stuff. How many books do you have published that are yours? I have, yeah, I mean, you, I have, you've obviously had your hands on a lot, but uh, your, that yours, that your name is on the spine. Yes. So I have written uh, and published four books, two Bible studies, and a guided journal, which is unlike anything I've done before, but it was super fun. That's my most recent one. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about it because I got a copy. First of all, I'm holding it up. And if this part is in the real, I can't wait for people to see it, but... 
I love the cover. I was really impressed. Um, Stuff I'd Only Tell God. First of all, amazing title. Did you come up with it? Um, uh, My editor, Andy McGuire, did. I came up with the concept and he's like, this is just like stuff you'd only tell God. And we both went, that's (laughs) it. It was so cool. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So this is a guided journal of of courageous honesty, obsessive truth-telling. First of all, love that. And beautifully ruthless self-discovery. Jennifer, I really am obsessed. So I started it. And it's not for people listening. It's not a book like any other Christian self-help nonfiction book you've probably read before because those are just like a lot of the author's stories and then kind of the lesson. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's my, that's just like my book, Soul Care to Save Your Life. But what I love about it is this is truly a guided journal. Um, Every page, I would venture to say almost every single page is prompts for you to write, but they're not just journal prompts. There's also charts. There's also like you places where you can put pictures and oh, it's just like so cool. This book, um, when I got it, first of all, I'm like super into this kind of thing. So I was very excited to use it myself, but I immediately was like, what a great gift this would make for so many mm-hmm. people. Um, but let's back up. Where did the idea for this book come from? This guided journal? It has been uh, percolating for a really long time. So to give you a little bit of background, I'm a newspaper reporter. Well, by trade before I was an an author and I would pepper people with questions, you know, whether it was a police chief or, you know, a news source, a mayor, even presidential candidates, because I'm in Iowa and I was the chief political reporter for the Des Moines Register for some years. And we have all the presidential candidates coming through. So I have never been afraid of a question. Um, And when we moved up to the farm in far northwest Iowa, my career ended as a news reporter. But I still have always, you know, I just still kind of got questions running through my blood all the time. And if you were to come over for like a dinner party, I'd probably pepper you with questions. And it wouldn't be to be nosy. I'm just genuinely curious. Um, I wouldn't be trying to get a murder confession out of you, for instance, or anything like right, that. Right. But I might ask you, like, what do you care about these days? Or what is God speaking into your life these days? Or I might ask you something ridiculous, like if one song played for the rest of your life, every time you walked into a room, what would it be? And then a dance party would commence for the next hour as all of us <laughs> did that. And then we might talk about what our last meal is. I just love asking questions. Uh, the questions are actually what led me into faith because I began to interrogate the Bible in the same way that I interrogated police chiefs and presidential candidates, because I was not convinced that God was real. And Mm -hmm. so it was through this sort of questioning and interrogation process that I actually came to know the Lord. So questions saved my life. They really saved my life. I love that so much and I relate and I'm glad you said it because I do think it's true. But so often in in faith and religion, specifically Christianity, I I think we're we're finally seeing a movement away from this, but it feels like for many years it was like, don't be too curious, or like almost like, well, God is mysterious. Like, don't even try to solve that or understand that. And mm-hmm. I, I the God I know and love, <laughs> like I think would laugh at that and think that's so funny. Um, I don't think we need to act like, I don't think there's anything wrong with curiosity or even actively trying to understand God. 
although we probably never will to the to the fullest extent, of course. Um, but it's but it's really refreshing to hear you say that asking those questions, digging in, getting curious, um, and not letting the fear of what might be found on the other side stop you actually helped your faith and saved your life. That's amazing. Absolutely. Was that that many years ago? Yeah. So that was probably, uh, it was a long process. I mean, it was probably like a four-year investigation, really. Like, you know, I was a news reporter and I suddenly became a good news, news reporter, like trying to figure out who Jesus was. And it was probably about a four-year process. It did not come easy. If somebody were, were to be like, when did you get saved? I'd be like, I don't know. I guess in Jesus' mind, I was, I, you know, I was always because like he knew I was going to arrive at this point. So I just don't, I just have never really worried about it. The point is he used like a really, really dark time in my life of intense unbelief. Like go to bed at night thinking this is the end. I can't believe the faith that I grew up in, like really intense, dark, lonely. I can't tell anybody that I have these questions, kind of a period in my life. And I remember when I came across the story of Thomas, just like a fresh approach to Thomas, like, you know how that is? Like when all of a sudden your scales, the scales are off your eyes and you read a Bible verse and you're like, I read that many times before, but it's really hitting me now. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at how um, Jesus um, answers Thomas's questions. He doesn't just like say, I, you know, I really don't want anything to do with you again. You ask too many questions, get out of my way. Instead, he's like, uh, look at the scars in my hands and on my feet and in my side. And that's for doubting Thomas. And then I, I, I realized he does the same for doubting Jennifer. Mm. And that was a huge relief to me. Um, in my, my Bible study notes under the, the, uh, there was a bio of Thomas and in the study notes, I underlined in my green highlighter many years ago, silent doubts rarely find answers. Mm. And it wasn't even scripture. It was just in a study note. And I mean, I still haven't forgot forgotten it. It spoke to me so much. So the journal comes out of that. It comes out of curiosity about God. It comes out of just my natural bend toward asking questions. It comes out of a a feeling that when we don't sit down and like ask questions about our past and our people, we can't really move forward to be all of that God made us to be. And we're just kind of stuck. So it unlocks a lot of things when you ask yourself those questions. Yeah. And you, you answered where I was going to go next, which is really like, well, why does this matter? And, and you've named that. I mean, I already know why it matters. I think a lot of my listeners will, will already have that sense as well. But like, for example, um, no, not even a fourth of the way through the book. One of the things is dear younger me. And this is what I'd tell my 10 years ago self. Um, and then there's like all these prompts, like my favorite school lunch, a childhood best friend. Are we still friends? Yes or no. My favorite pastime as a kid, you know, um, it's, there's, there's so much here. And then there's obviously very more faith, uh, centric bits of it, but all of it matters. I, I would agree. And who would you say this is for? Like, if you could really only give it to one type of person or one person going through something right now, like, who would you? I mean, I think it's for all of us, but who did you have in mind when you created this? Well, who I had in mind when I created it were journalers who like this kind of thing. 
um, who it has become Me. for. <laughs> yeah, who who it's really who I'm hearing from the most are people. I just got off the call of off a call with somebody that I know that's been going through it. She says I've always wanted a journal, but I just didn't know how, and I put it off because I was too busy and I didn't know how to start. And in a way, Amanda, that was me because I I'm a writer and I would get stuck with a blank page, and so even more somebody who's not a writer. They know that there's a therapeutic quality to journaling, but they just don't even know what to say or what's going to work or what's going to loosen some things up in their mind and their heart and their soul. And so I'm like, here you go. I'm going to give you a path. You're going to start with your past, go to your present, look at your people, think about your weird ways. There's a section in there called me and my weird ways, unpack some stuff that's really hard and then start to move forward and look at your future. And that's, that's the journey of the journal. So I think it's, I think it's also, I think it really is for the non-journaler in some way. Um, Yeah. Not that it, not that it excludes the journaler, but it's been surprising to me how many non-journalers are picking it up. Yeah. That's amazing. And we know the value of therapy. We know the value of relationships and connection sitting across the table from a mentor, but those things aren't always accessible or something that people for many different reasons, have access to. And what I love is that this book, I'm not saying it can replace those in-person connections or a professional therapist by any means, but I think it can supplement and it can be used as a tool, um, especially if it's if it's like the best option for you at this time in your life. Like by all means, this can kickstart a lot of the inner work that so many people would benefit from, but either don't know where to start or how to start. Um or don't have access, like I said, to those in-person mentors and therapists. Because a lot of these, when I was first flipping through it, when it arrived in the mail, I was like, I mean, who doesn't love being asked questions? I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's like relationship 101, I feel like, is get someone talking about themselves and they'll just, you know, go, most people will go on and on. People love sharing about their kids, their life, their job, their whatever. Um, but I think too, this, this book, this guided journal stuff, I'd only tell God, some of it is stuff. It's like, I would really prefer to only tell God. Now, if you're Amanda Carpenter, you've told the world all of your deep, dark secrets. (laughs) So God, and now the world knows all. Um, but, but yeah, there's, there's that. And it will actually make you a better question asker and a more curious person in your relationships with other people too. Because I think as the light bulb goes off, as you work out your stuff and you answer some of these prompts and fill out these charts and have these light bulb moments, then you naturally, you want to tell someone about it and, or go and like say to your friends, like, Hey, have you ever thought about this? Or like, what comes up when I ask you this? I don't know. I just think it's so fun. Um, so I already have people, this is in my Amazon cart and I'm gifting it to a few friends that I just think would really appreciate and actually use it. Um, so I'm so glad you wrote it. It's so different from any of your other work. Far different and rewarding in a way that I, you just don't know. Like I kind of know when somebody reads Growing Slow, for instance, my most recent trade book, I kind of have an idea of what the result is going to be. You're going to come away thinking I need to slow down my life and stop treating life like an emergency. I have a bit of an idea because we know what that quote felt need is and what the pain point of the reader is. Well, it's like every pain point is in Mm. here. So I have no idea. As an example, I got a a message on Instagram the other day from a woman who answered a question in there about, this is somebody I haven't talked to in a long time who I'd like to reconnect with. 
And she immediately thought of a high school friend who 15 years earlier, she had a falling out with, and it was like an irreconcilable difference. That was her best friend. And they just stopped talking and they hadn't stopped since. She messaged her on some platform, gave her phone number and said, I just love to talk to you again. And it wasn't but five minutes later that that friend that she had not talked to for 15 years called her back and they had an hour long conversation. Mm. So, I mean, that's like, that's like life. That's something that I couldn't, I couldn't know. And I launched, I, I thought, oh, I'm launching my book, but I didn't launch my book. I launched your book. I launched that woman's book. I launched whoever's going to pick it up because it's incomplete. Yeah. It's only, it's only like 10% done. And then the rest is up to you. Like I am practically not even in it. I almost didn't even put my name on the cover because it doesn't matter. It's not my thing. And and I may, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, but it's great because you're getting to be that mentor through this book. You're providing all the prompts and asking the questions that so many of us want to be asked, want to Mm. answer, but just don't have that person in our life. That's like the saddest thing to me is that I continually hear from people. I'll get DMs. Somebody will respond to a story that I post and they're just like, man, how have you developed such a beautiful, deep, rich community in LA or in Chicago when we were there? And um, man, it must be nice to have a mentor. Like, I wish I had someone who poured into me like that. And obviously there's tangible uh, tips and advice I can give to those things that I've talked about a number of times here. But at the same time, uh, I have been so lucky. God's been so gracious and put people in my path and continues to put friends in my path who are such curious, genuine question askers who want um, what's best for me and like have my best interests at heart when they ask those things. Like to your point earlier, they're not interrogating. They're just being curious and allowing me the space to like process sometimes because it's like, I don't even have an answer to that question. But here's what I think right now, you know, and it's just like Mm -hmm. we process and... I want more people to have that. I think that that's what makes our tables longer. Mm. But if people don't have that or they feel it's lacking, um, I want them to be able to cultivate it in their own communities. And maybe it starts with them getting this book, going through this on their own, and then sort of replicating that in relationship with other people. So I think your book is going to have a significant ripple effect. Um, And I'm so excited, like I said, to gift it to some friends. Oh, thank you. That's so cool. I like how you tie in the longer table on that because I think often we view journaling as a one man or one woman journey, but in the end, going through something like that helps you understand and treat more empathetically the people of your past and helps you move forward with more confidence to be the kind of person you want to be in relationship and community with other people. It makes you bolder, more courageous, more willing to go some different places with questions, more willing to be vulnerable yourself in in areas where maybe you would have been too scared to do that before. So it's really good practice. Journaling is really good practice for being a long table sitter, I guess. Yeah, no, it's so good. It's so, so good. Well, we will link it in our show notes and um, and link you so people know where to find you because yeah, your other book, Growing Slow, is the only other one that I've gotten the chance to read. And so good. And everything you share, it, it reminds me so much of, uh, it, it pairs nicely with my devotional space. We we are like tracking on, um, on that one. And so yeah, I 
can't wait for people to get to know you more and get to know your work even more. But thanks for coming to our table and sharing about it today. It's been such a gift. Thank you. So fun.